0: The Observer's Calendar for February 2024 on episode 394 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. Um, Chris, and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky, and this podcast is for everybody who likes going out under the stars. So we are just, before we record it, welcome back, Shane. You were on a warm weather vacation.
1: Yeah, thanks, Chris. I was in Cuba for uh, seven days in the Veradero area on a, uh. one of the many... Uh, holiday destination resorts that they have there. And it's a great trip. Uh, weather was wonderful. Uh, from an astronomical perspective, the, um, all I brought was binoculars, my, uh, 12 by thirty sixes, uh, which are image stabilized. They're just wonderful binoculars to take on a trip because you can basically use them 24 hours a day. You know, if you want to spot a, a ship on the horizon or <laughs> do some astronomy, they're, they're great for all of that. And, um, the weather wasn't super great for astronomy. It was cloudy most nights, but there was a couple of nights where the clouds broke. Uh, well, one night when the clouds broke and kind of sucker hole observing, and then another night, which was actually pretty clear. And, um, uh, both nights, I just did some visual observing and it was kind of neat, you know, you and I being at, uh, what are we? 51 degrees north latitude, something like that. Uh, dropping down to there. I think you were saying it's like 16 or something down there. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was really neat to see like Jupiter right at Zenith and, uh, also Orion passing overhead at Zenith, uh, was kind of neat. So, um, that was fun, but with the full moon in the sky and then just light pollution from all of the resorts, uh, you know, it's not the ideal astronomy location to really, uh, get into like some deep sky stuff, but. Nonetheless, it was neat to look at the constellations and, you know, I I find it disorienting actually when I'm at those Southern latitudes. Um, In fact, we were at a wedding uh, in 2017 or 2018 down there and my nephew asked me, where's the Big Dipper? And I was like, well, it's just in the North. Let's figure out North. And we looked and I'm like, why can't I see the Big Dipper? I see that every night. (laughs) And uh, yeah, too far South. Uh, It was kind of kind of uh disorienting and, you know, but once he gets some bearings with, you know, the major constellations, it kind of comes together. Yeah. Sorry. I
0: think it's like 22 degrees north. 22. Yeah, mm, yeah. My okay. apologies. Yeah. I was just, it's all much further south than we are. But the, uh, the wild part was that on the day you left Cuba, I think you said it was 22 degrees Celsius. And when you arrived here now, it wasn't quite this warm in Regina, but a uh, few hours down the road from here over in Maple Creek, Saskatchewan, it was positive 21 degrees Celsius.
1: Yeah, that's wild. They, they, you know, they're about 400 kilometers away from us Mm. and going towards the Rocky mountains and they kind of get the tail end of that mountain weather. So sometimes they, they get, you know, these, I don't know if you'd call it a Chinook or what it would be, but, uh, they get some warmer temperatures there.
0: Yeah. That was the warmest temperature ever recorded in Saskatchewan in January, I think, or something like that. And it's the, uh, I think it's the second warmest temperature ever recorded in Canada in, uh, in January or something like that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. But, uh,
1: this winter is really unheard of for us here, you know, in terms of how warm it has been. Uh, I think we've all enjoyed that aspect of it, but it it's certainly not
0: the normal here. And that was... They, they were minus 42 without the wind chill uh, two weeks ago or whatever it was, something like mm. that. So within uh, less than a three-week period of time, they went from minus 42, and that's without the wind chill, to plus 21. So that's a positive 63 degree temperature difference. Wow. So the average temperature in July um, probably is about plus 31. So if it was 63 degrees uh, warmer than that in July, it would be uh, almost uh, boiling temperature for water. Hmm. Isn't that yeah, like? I hope that doesn't happen. But yeah, that's wild. Fingers mm. crossed. It's getting yeah. up there, folks.
1: Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, interesting times.
0: I did not get any astronomy in. No, it has just not worked out for me. I am yeah, just uh, suffering with my asthma a bit. So yeah, I will be hanging out at home for. A little bit uh working on the observers calendar. Did go to my observatory mm-hmm. checking on things out there, making sure it's all good and it is, and uh yeah, yeah, kind of getting ready for uh for the spring observing and there's still a little more work to be done out there, so kind of sorting out some of that stuff and uh yeah, still haven't ordered my dew heaters. Had um I had You know, Shane, the one thing I've learned doing this podcast is I don't know what people think more like I am more convinced than ever that I really don't understand what other amateur astronomers do or are interested in, because when I mentioned dew heaters, I actually thought that I would never even hear from a single solitary person, or Mm -hmm. maybe somebody might write something, but I have had more emails from people with great suggestions, advice, and just general information about dew heaters. Then I have about, uh, I think just about any other singular topic. Yeah, I was going to say, you kind of
1: blew up the actual astronomy, uh, email account inbox. (laughs) There's a lot of traffic coming through there about dew heaters. Uh, I was surprised too. And, and, uh, that's the great part though of, of the podcast, I think, as well as the hobby is, is there's, you know, lots of people that have lots of different experiences and you know, you and I talk about the values of joining a club, or even just having some observing friends, yes. just to share experiences, uh, and and maybe learn from others, or or you know, even be able to like look through different styles of telescopes, all of that kind of stuff. And you know, the when when you kind of engage within a community of of amateur astronomers, there's a lot of. Um, just a lot of knowledge that can be shared and, and, you know, experiences that can be shared and it it really helps everybody out at the end of it.
0: Yes. Yes. And, and speaking of which I met with two young amateur astronomers slash, I think one is going to become a professional astronomer one day. And, uh, speaking of helping each other, I, I was meeting with one and the other one just happened to be nearby and I invited them over and, uh, I was, uh, buying a round of coffees so that we could work on the calendar and, uh, guess who forgot their wallet? <laughs> and so one, likely
1: of the, story, Chris. one of
0: the people who has helped me out had to buy the round and man, man, I, I felt pretty bad about that, but. Well, anyways, I hope they don't let you forget about that. I, I don't think they will, but it makes, it makes a good story. I could have, I could have run back. I wasn't thinking I should have just run back because I'm not used to it. I switched jobs. Now my office is right across from the coffee shop, but sort of upstairs and around a corner and blah, blah, blah. So the way I'd wait like five or 10 minutes for me to go and get it, probably in reality, once I run around and do all that, in five minutes. Um, but anyhow, I kind of had sort of, in the back of my mind, I was I was rushing around trying to do all this work, then rushed downstairs to meet them. And I remembered even to bring like my laptop and the calendar and all this other stuff. And I was like, yes, I remembered all this stuff because that's, but I had left my my wallet by my uh, computer in my locked office or you know my other computer anyway so i felt bad but i'm i'm putting this in because maybe i'll send it off to them and and they'll get a laugh but it was it was one of those situations where your fellow amateur astronomers they will step in and buy you that coffee and buy everybody else coffee too apparently but uh, i've got their back i will i will make it up to them because i appreciate it <laughs> that's funny yeah but uh yeah, it's it's great though. I think that, that that's kind of the way us amateurs are. So plus mm-hmm. you can't stay up all night without, uh, without your coffee. So, but yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, we uh, put a call out in the fall and had uh, many people answer that call um, to volunteer for the calendar. Some of them are, are listeners to the show. I'm always like... I don't want to like throw people's names around in that, but uh, you know, the, those people know who they are and I appreciate it. So I've got like, you know, a couple people that uh, were listeners to the show that are helping out. And uh yeah, my my thanks to them, maybe at, at a long distant future point in time, have them on and well, one of them's already been on the show. There there's a spoiler. Actually, and I should say that you know, it's even broader than that because Dave Chapman and Alistair Ling, who uh who have been on the show many times, um Yeah, they certainly helped me out with it, but there's even other people. So it's, uh, it's really awesome. Cause I was kind of overrun last year and, uh, didn't want to do that again this year. So I'm really, really appreciative of all of the volunteers, especially those who bought the coffee today. All right. Um, February 2nd, getting into the observers calendar for February, 2024, Friday, February 2nd, last quarter moon, Shane. Beautiful. On our way to new moon
1: On and some day. dark sky observing.
0: Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, I'm hoping that I'm back in action for this new moon period here coming up in a week or so. And uh, it's one thing that uh, me and these other amateurs were talking about today is the business of the zodiacal light and the gegenschein. sheen. So the zodiacal light is uh, going to be visible during the dark uh, moon periods this month. Mm-hmm. So basically when the moon isn't in the sky in the evening sky, you're going to be able to see the zodiacal light. So Shane, do you remember what the zodiacal light is? They've had some recent research in the past few years. Do you recall that? Yeah, Dave was telling
1: us about this. Uh, I always forget the details though. Something related to Mars.
0: Yeah, that that's right. So because of the solar wind, it's knocking off some of the uh, atmosphere and the sort of planetary dust and stuff on Mars. And apparently that this is... Um, what's causing the majority of the zodiacal light, because this goes out into the plane of the solar system and because of our angle to the plane of the solar system at this time of year, we see a bit of a long narrow pyramid structure, which, uh, to me anyway, cuts sort of up and to the left or in the Western part of the sky on an angle coming up almost from due West, uh, just beneath the uh, Pleiades.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a neat thing to see, <clears throat> excuse me, we've, uh, we've observed it multiple times together and, oh yeah, you know, it's one of those things, if you don't look for it, you might miss it because it doesn't jump out at you. But if you take the time to observe it, it's incredible how large it is, like how mm-hmm. much of the sky it takes up. And in order to really see that, you, like you mentioned, for sure, you need a dark, uh, like a dark sky, but the darker the sky that you can get underneath the wider of of the expanse or, or the extent of this, uh, phenomenon that you can observe. So yeah. it's really neat to see.
0: Yeah. And, um, it doesn't have to be a crazy dark sky. Like we were able to observe it. I remember a few times we observed it out from, uh, from a farm just to the, uh, East of the city. So we were looking back towards the city and it was still apparent even, even towards Regina, mm-hmm. which, yep. you know, city of 200 and some odd thousand people. So, you know, not a small town or anything, but we could definitely see it quite clearly and that's one of the best views of it I've ever had. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Re- for sure. Really would like to try to see it out at, uh, out of my observatory because that has a, uh, a pretty pristine, uh, Western horizon out there. That'd be good. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You, you definitely have a, a darker horizon that direction. So it's almost ideal for observing this.
0: Yeah. The other thing that, uh, people can take a look for again, during the dark period in February is the Gag Sheen. I always think the Gag Sheen would, that, that would be a great title for some sort of thriller or horror movie. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. it That would work. Um, uh, it, it, it's an ominous name for sure. I don't know if I've ever seen this actually, you know, um,
0: have you seen it? So I think I've seen it once. So Mary Lou Whitehorn, she was the president of the Halifax center of the RASC, um, around the time when I think I became a member and then she became the president or something. And she was, uh, and still is, you know, I, I was talking to her back in the fall, uh, Pretty darn good observer. And this was one of those things at one point in time she was quite interested in and had done a presentation on. And I think, uh, during the winter that year, she had us all out and had like, basically she had figured it out because this is one of those things Dave Chapman has talked a bit about too. Um, I think there's like some times that are better than others, particularly like February. And what this is, is it's, uh, a brightening directly overhead in the sky, uh, best seen sort of in February because, uh, it's called the anti-solar point. So this is the point uh, opposite in the sky to the sun. So you want to go, it has to be like after midnight, right? So the sun has to sort of be opposite where you are. So down towards your feet-ish somewhere. And then because it's in the winter, um, the sun is pretty low, very, very low, like way below the horizon at that point. And then it's the uh, it's the light rays kind of emanating up from around the earth that's illuminating this uh, Large spot overhead. I forget how big it is exactly, but uh, you know it's not huge. But you know it's like a little bit larger than the full moon. I think. Hmm. I see. I see. So, but I think this is this is the month. But one of the things I was I was chatting to uh, the the two people that are uh, just just two of the people who are helping me with the calendar today because they they uh, are at the university that I'm at. Um, we we're just sort of chatting about this informally. But I, I kind of want to have have at least one of them read the research. There's some recent research on the zodiacal light that we referenced and the Gegenschein, And to, to kind of nail down better when these events occur. So right now what I did is I did sort of a preliminary scan of the uh, scientific literature. But I, I believe that I can more carefully hone in uh, what are those best nights. So right now I'm just kind of saying there are time... Whenever the sky is dark in February, um, especially in the evening for zodiac light, and then just after midnight for the Gegenshin. Uh, But I think there are some nights, perhaps, that would be like sort of uh, your golden nights, so to speak, for for seeing uh, these events. So, trying to, we're going to try to maybe hone in on those a little bit more. If you, if you pay, if you play Patsy Klein, do, does that increase your chances of seeing it? Oh man, you're, you're, I don't know. Are people, I'm not getting this. What's the, you got to tell me what this is? Uh, She has
1: a song. I think it's called Walking After Midnight or After Midnight.
0: Oh, shoot. It's been a long day. It's been a long day.
1: Well, and you know, I'm fresh off vacation. So this is like my my 16 hours of sharpness before I get back to being numb again.
0: (laughs) Holy cow. Let me tell you, I should have, I should have got that one. And And we should tell people we're recording this at an unusual time. It is uh, just after dinner on a Wednesday evening, which is, I think, a time that we've seldom recorded. At. Usually it's Sunday morning, mm-hmm. but yeah. uh, today, no, we're doing it. We're doing it now. And it's my fault because I forgot to make up these notes before Shane went on vacation and uh, anyway. Yeah. All right. On Saturday, February 3rd, we have the Curtis X, mm. which is visible in Western North America. So this is one of those, uh, what do they call Shane? There's, there's a word for it. I'm not even fishing here. I just, it skips my mind. Yeah. There's, uh, a, Claire, Claire,
1: obscure effect obscure. Uh, on the moon. Um, so yeah, just a, a play with shadows and, and mm-hmm. like the features that are either in shadow or illuminated by the sun, uh, can take on sort of, uh, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, creative appearances. And uh, we've talked a lot about the straight wall. In fact, I think we're talking about that in probably 10 minutes or so. Um, there's the Lunar X, which is maybe the more po- the most popular one, but then there's also this Curtis X. In fact, there's there's dozens. I think there's over a hundred documented features like this that you can observe. The key to observe any of them is the right date and time. Because as, as the... Uh, uh, the shadows on the moon start to transit, you know, based on its angle to the sun, these features either appear or disappear. So sometimes the challenge in, in observing these is just being in the right place at the right time. And it's
0: south of crater Gambart. If, yeah, I'm looking at cloudy nights at it. Um, Yeah, I, I, I can't recall. I think I've seen this one once. So one of the other things I'm doing with the calendar is I've... Uh, <laughs> I, I've convinced Marie Newham, who was on the show about a year ago, like this week. Um, anyhow, she is uh, like a lunar observing expert, Ooh. and she's she's going to help refine these things that we can see. Is the Curtis X one of those things we should have on there? Should there be other things um, on there yeah. instead? Should we have other things anyway? So I'm going to work with her, and she's gonna she's gonna put some interesting morsels out there, I think, for the calendar for coming years. That would be great. In fact, that would be an excellent um,
1: section within the Observer's Handbook. But
0: I think, I think so. me. <laughs> See, they have some stuff in there on lunar libration and that sort of thing, but mm-hmm. she uh, is really good at like figuring out um, like how and when things are visible. She was telling me some of the stuff is not visible until, well, you can't determine just because of the libration variations, I guess, until you get closer to the date. Whereas like kind of, unfortunately for us, when we're trying to build this stuff, we're looking a year and a half out. So, but the good news is, with that is the stuff that we are predicting a year and a half out, um, should be easily visible. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's, that's the goal to thread through. Cool. I like it. Yeah. Winter star party starts on the fifth. Are you heading back down south?
1: I am not heading back down south. This will be the extent of my vacation here until
0: probably May timeframe. So I'm kind of disappointed because I found this out today, not the winter star party, the star party I found a long time ago. I haven't feeling too good. So probably really not in great shape to go anyway, unfortunately. But, um, I found out that the way that the... lights work here, I guess they've added some recent flights in and some of those are to Florida and they're happening now and the prices were pretty good, Hmm. Um, but I just wasn't, uh, I was doing other things when they put these flights in and I would have had to book them back in November, but I stopped looking in October because I was like, well, if it's not visible, that many months out, it's going to be so too expensive for me to go, but I guess they put them on in November. So I just, I just missed them. I had actually thought about quite seriously about going. Mm, yeah, that would be a fun one to attend. I I would really like to do that one at least once. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, I, and I was wondering if Mark Radich, I was, I was talking to Mark this week, um, but I was talking to him over YouTube and, uh, I didn't know if he was going or not, but, uh. I I don't know. Mm -hmm. I thought he might've mentioned it if he was going. So I'm almost assuming that he wasn't, but it would be, uh, could be a surprise if he goes. I'm sure he'll, he'll let us know, but I know he's been fairly busy with, uh, with his job and YouTube channel and other things. So we'll, uh, we'll catch up with him later in the month. Uh, Wednesday, February 7th is a morning event. So this is a get up early on Wednesday morning, 7th, February, Venus is going to be five degrees above the moon on this morning. Are you waking
1: up for that one, Chris?
0: I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. See, I I can see these sort of events from uh, my window. Mm, That makes it easier. (laughs) It does. It does. So one of the uh, great disadvantages of where I live, as you know, Shane, is that um, there's no trees where I live at all. Like I am a long mm-hmm. way from any tree that's more than 20 feet tall. Mm-hmm. So I get great horizons. It also puts me in direct line of sight of just what every light that man has ever created. It seems, um, however, like I can see, like if there's a good event like this, if it's visible, like, and it's like a little bit high, like high enough to be a well visible event, then typically I can see it. And I've even like set up my telescope in my backyard and done mercury observations and stuff. So my horizons are about that good. Yeah. But, uh, this one, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. If it, uh, if it looks decent, uh, I'll probably take a look at it because I I almost have to like, because it's in the morning and when I get up and I'm eating my uh, sort of toast and fruit and I look out, like it will just be right there. <laughs> so I'll probably take a look at it. Yeah, cool. Uh February ninth, new moon. Uh, and it still might be warm here. Mm.
1: So yeah, especially that? relative to what we're used to. It might be a great opportunity for us to get out.
0: Yeah, yeah, it could be. So I uh I might try to to go out. I've got my scope here. I thought I might set up tonight, and then there was some cloud moving in, and then mm. we're doing a recording. And like I said, yeah, I kinda having some trouble with my asthma. So uh Maybe not tonight, but yeah, if we get some good warmer weather. And then on the uh, tenth there, we have one of these uh, young crescent moons visible, Shane. Have you ever seen one of these really young crescent moons before? Yeah, yeah.
1: It's it's a neat thing to observe, especially if you can, for me anyway, like catching it near the horizon like that is is uh, awesome. You know, it, it's neat to just see it because it, it looks larger than it, you know, normally would when it's near the horizon. And yeah, it's a fun thing
0: to observe. I think it's like uh, maybe just 23 or 24 hours old for us. So here in the middle of North America, I think it's going to be relatively easy to see, but it will be nice and thin. And I think once you get east of us, sort of along the uh, eastern seaboard of the U.S. and, and Canada anyway, it's going to be very, very thin. Like for, especially if you're like in Newfoundland and you have a nice clear sky. Um, yeah, that's, that's going to be razor thin. Like you know, something like uh, whatever it is, an 18 hour old moon or something is visible. So that would be pretty cool. Yeah.
1: Not an easy observation when it's that young, but if you know where to look, um, you know, you have a pretty good shot then.
0: Yeah. And I think it's still relatively, um, new, relatively young, whatever for the rest of us, like still seeing a 24 hour, just sub 24 hour moon is, it's still going to be a pretty thin crescent need to see with the, uh, binoculars anyway, throw those, uh, at the window and, uh, we'll take a peek. Mm -hmm. On Sunday, February 11th, Saturn is going to be less than two degrees away from the moon in the evening sky. So of course, uh, the moon being just past new means that it's going to be in your south, southwestern sky, which is where Saturn is on these evenings. So starting to lose Saturn now and stuff falling off my desk. And then, um, yeah, so that's going to be a pretty close uh, passing of Saturn and the moon in the evening sky. So that could be a nice one for binoculars or wide field telescope. Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. That's well within the range of most binoculars and, uh,
0: you know, some telescopes, uh, will be able to get that one too. Uh, Monday, the 12th, Neptune is just under a degree from the moon. I didn't put the direction mm. in, but uh, for this one, I think people are probably going to want to use their, uh, planetarium software to try to get oriented. Uh, do you have like, I think the, uh, I was looking today only because we we're working on stuff together, uh, me and uh, a couple other volunteers. And I think the uh, Stellarium, you can just go to like Stellarium.com or org or something like that. And, uh, and just use like a freeware version online. I think it's just like right on the internet. Oh, that's handy. Yeah. I And I think it's very basic, but it would work for, it will definitely have the moon and Neptune in there.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's uh, there are a few resources online that you put in like your latitude and longitude, uh, date, time, and it'll show you some of the basic stuff like constellations and uh, where the solar system objects are. Mm. So, so yeah, I would imagine Stellarium would would be able to help anybody out on this one.
0: Yeah, gotta need a telescope for this one. Mm-hmm. No way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for sure, we should put uh, that on there because Neptune is uh, something about eighth magnitude right now. So. That's uh, definitely in the range of uh, a telescope because being so close to a, uh, whatever it is, a three day old moon at that point, the moon is going to be fairly bright and Neptune is pretty dim. So you're going to need a telescope to uh, hunt that one down. Yes, indeed. And Excuse me, if you do observe that one, uh,
1: see, uh, see if you can tease out any color within Neptune. Um, typically, larger aperture is required for that, but uh, some people are able to detect some of the blue.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I've looked at Neptune a few times in recent years. Um, one of my best views for for this sort of thing is like uh, eight or 10 inch telescopes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know lots of people who might be early on in their astronomy Um, this might not be a thing, but hey, who knows? Uh, but then I know that we do have lots of listeners in sort of that, um, you know, six inch I'm thinking is probably getting minimum, not necessarily because you need a six inch telescope to see an eighth magnitude object, which you don't, you can probably see eighth magnitude pretty easy in binoculars from even most cities. However, it's, uh, it's the brightness of the moon nearby Mm. and the ability to be able to see both at the same time, which, uh which causes the challenge for seeing an eighth magnitude object. I think, as you well know, Shane. Yeah, for sure. Uh, typically I don't put these ones in in fact, but because the moon is still such a thin crescent, I think this one is, uh, worthwhile in trying to seem, trying to be a little bit more picky and choosy about, uh, what I think should be visible. And of course, even though I've, I've observed a lot of similar events that we put in the observer's calendar, uh, before. The, uh, the challenge always is, is that things are changing in the sky and sometimes it can be difficult to, uh, to, to nail exactly what it's going to look like. Mm. Tuesday, the 13th, this is always a big day in our house. Yeah. Well, what, what is this? Don't you know Pancake (laughs) Tuesday? I don't. No. You don't celebrate. Oh man. When I was growing up, Pancake Tuesday is a big deal. Breakfast for dinner, man. That's the way to go. And fun fact, you might think I'm kidding, but I'm not. I am a gourmet pancake maker and that is, that is no joke. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Very serious business. So no offense to my mom, she's a great cook and, and that's in all seriousness, some of her recipes, my grandmother's recipes in like, I can't say where they are, but famous restaurants worldwide and that's not a, that's not a joke, but none of them can make pancakes, which is one of my favorite things to eat. And so I learned to make pancakes unlike anybody else. And oh. this is like my only claim to fame is that I can make probably about the best pancake you've ever had. Well, My specialty is raspberry chocolate chip pancakes. I don't know if you've ever had said thing before. Never have. I, I,
1: now you, you know,
0: I, I need, I need to sample
1: some of your pancakes. Yeah, you should, you shouldn't. Yeah. I'm not even kidding. Cause they it, are, it, I, go ahead.
0: It, is this every Tuesday or just No this, no this is just once a year? This is Shrove Tuesday, pancake Tuesday in our house. But yeah. And you just pick the thirteenth or... no, no, I don't pick it. This is like you've not, I can't believe you've never heard of Shrove Tuesday. That's when you have pancakes. Okay.
1: Okay. Well that's a that's I, a thing. You see, I really stay. have learned something today. <laughs>
0: there I yeah. I, yeah, not everybody <laughs> celebrates this, but of course we do, being a pancake household. Now we eat pancakes yeah. usually but once a week in our house. So Oof. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you got to keep up your skills and uh, I Very change well, it up yeah. a little bit, mostly mm-hmm. blueberries now. Cause see the problem with the raspberries is if you get your ratios wrong, you don't get enough raspberry in your pancake. And if you get too much raspberry in, the first thing that happens is the raspberry stick to the pan and you'll wreck the pan pretty quick. Or if you put even more in than that, the pancake actually won't cook. So you have to get like the right ratio of the raspberries, and oh. then you had to sprinkle the chocolate chips in. None of that mixing the chocolate chips into your batter out there, people. Yeah. You got to hand lay those chocolate chips in there. Yeah.
1: I wonder how many amateur astronomers are looking at their phones or devices and going, What the heck is going <laughs> right on? I'm
0: going to move on to a different okay, topic. Let's do that. <laughs> February 15th. That's a Thursday, folks. Jupiter is going to be three degrees from my pancakes. No, Jupiter is going to be three degrees from the moon in the evening sky and the moon will not look like a pancake. Um, so that's pretty close. And that's going to be bright.
1: Lots this month, Hey, Uh, Lots this month. Yeah. That's awesome. Close, close pairings with the moon.
0: Close pairings with the moon. And this one's nice because Jupiter is super high. Um, the moon is still going to be like a nice crescent. This is just the day before first quarter. And uh, yeah, binoculars. I think pretty nice thing to see this with. You'll be able to see with binoculars the moons of Jupiter, Jupiter, and our moon all together. So you can see five moons in your binoculars at the same time, plus planet Jupiter. Whoa, that's a lot. It's a lot to take in. But you mm-hmm. know what? Those pancakes you had will get you through this. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> I mean, I Help it's me, fun. somebody. <laughs> I didn't put valentine's day in here either but that's okay we all know that yeah maybe we don't celebrate it it's hard after pancake tuesday all right february the 16th we have the first quarter moon laying just below the Pleiades, and on that night the lunar x is visible and uranus is three degrees below the moon i can't handle all of this chris this is too much yeah that's awesome.
1: That's really cool to have all like, you know, one of the prettiest open clusters, uh, you know, Lunar X, Uranus. Wow. That's pretty cool.
0: But you know what else is, is happening that night for some, although not for here, mm. it is the um, occultation of Uranus, which, uh, yeah, I, I think that is going to take place on that night as well, but it's not for here. Um, okay. I think it's for like, I think it's for like somewhere else, like maybe pretty far away places. Mm. Anyway, uh, Saturday, September 17th is the lunar straight wall visibility on the moon. So what is the uh, lunar straight wall? It's like an escarpment or something, isn't it?
1: Yeah. It's an escarpment or sort of a, like a long cliff. I can't remember. I was just reading about this actually the other day and I'm, uh, I'm terrible at remembering details, but, uh, it, uh, yes, I won't even try to speculate at how long it is, uh, like actual length of it and, and the dimensions, but um, it's one of these clear-obscure effects that we mentioned earlier in the show, and this will be a very large straight black line, uh, is what it'll look like uh, through your telescope. Um, the one thing I should really try, and I think I've mentioned this before, is is putting binoculars on it to see what it would look like if I could even see it through binoculars. Oh, that's good. Uh, I'm kind of thinking this is a telescope object, but um, you know, if somebody does observe it with binoculars, I would, I would love
0: to hear about it. I thought it was visible in binoculars, but okay, I, yeah. I don't know. I'm not as much of a lunar observer. That's why, that's why I'm getting Marie to help me out and start to sort out some of this stuff. Yeah, right on. Thursday, the 22nd, Venus is just over half degree from Mars in the morning sky. You know, that's exceptionally close. Wow. That'll be your very tight pairing. Yeah, um this one I struggled with putting in um with both the calendar and in our show notes because I I think this one's tough to see. Mm. I think Mar- Mars
1: probably won't be very bright at that no. point. So, yeah, that will be tough. Probably need a
0: well, a telescope would definitely help. Yeah, I think so. I think so. But it's like one of those things where maybe this is going to be easier to see than I think Sometimes I tend to err a little bit too much on the side of caution because mm-hmm. I don't like mentioning to people that maybe they should go out and try to take a look at something that, A, you really can't see, or B just doesn't really look like much. So um this is one of those ones that was sort of on the edge, but hey, maybe it'll look cool. Saturday, the twenty fourth. Uh that's full moon. Okay. It's the smallest full moon of twenty twenty four. Oh, okay, interesting. Do you know what we call that? Apparently, it's a bad moon. <laughs> that's what I put in the notes, but it's, <laughs> that's that's my. We're we're gonna try to get people to start because you know, isn't there like a song "Bad Moon" on the rise? Isn't that like a bad moon? Yes, got Neil Young, or CCR, somebody? CCR, CCR. That's yeah. it. I couldn't remember, so I just put that in. But it's they call it a micro moon, but I think a bad moon because you have the super moon. Then I was like, well, what's like the antithesis of the super? Moon? It's bad. You know, yeah, the, the villain moon, the yeah. villain moon. We'll say that's the bad moon. Yeah. Micro moon. This just sounds. This doesn't sound like anything. But if it's a bad moon, cause super moon sounds like super good. Then you have bad.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And then if there was like one every four years, maybe that's like even further. We could say that's like a super bad moon. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> What's happening on the twenty fifth, Chris? <laughs> we could try to spot. <laughs> This was another thing I want to work on. I got to get Alistair to help. Sunday the 25th, try to spot Capella with the unaided eye in the sky this week before sunset. I don't know why that all rhymed. I didn't. Ooh. It didn't rhyme in my head when I wrote it. Um, so remember we had on the 18th, we had that business of Jupiter and the polarization yep. band and all that yep. good stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I, and I know Alistair mentioned this a little bit. We do have the business of putting... The uh, stars that you would be able to see um, in the daytime sky throughout the year, I think there's like five or six, Mm -hmm. but I I wasn't really sure why we were picking certain dates. And then I started to wonder if maybe it had to do with this polarization band or if there was a way to figure out, because all I've done is just carry it forward based on just dates and blah, blah, blah. But I really, I don't like putting stuff in. This is just one of those carryover things. I don't really understand how it works, but I think it has something to do. And I think even Alistair maybe even alluded to it, that it does have something to do with angle and polarization and all this stuff. And I, I want to explore that a little bit more with him at some point, kind of got to bend his ear when he has a little bit more time or we meet up in May or something, um, just to, uh, to see if maybe we can flush out some of these, uh, long held, Items in the observer's calendar. You still there? Still here. Oh, we had a we had a dead spot, folks. It was like a bump in the road. <laughs> that's that's it for the calendar. But we do have a couple of comets this month. Um, my my nemesis. This is like one of those things. So I'm provisioning my observatory. I've been using it in December and early January. But I uh, every time I go looking for this comet, either Comet Twelve P Brooks um, has gone through these, uh, brightenings and fading. So it's kind of brightened up and then fade it down and brighten up and fade it down. And I think I've just been unlucky because it hasn't been in particularly challenging parts of the sky. It's like cutting through Cygnus mm-hmm. going into Lacerda. And, uh, I think just on the night's sky, it was clear and moonless and I was out observing and went to look for it at the end of the night. I think either A, it was just dimmed down or B, it was, uh. It was just me being too tired at the end of the night, but I don't think like one of those nights, I really gave it the college try and I could not get it, but, um, it's going to pass into Lacerta this month, February, and, uh, it's going to pass one Lacerta or Lacerta on February 12th. So that would be mm-hmm. a, a neat thing to, uh, mark. And I think it's like eighth magnitude that night. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
1: So, um, and that's not Lacerda's too. F- it's it's not too far from New Moon either, which will help as well.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So on the twelfth, it's pretty close to this one, Lacerta, which or Lacerta. I'm not sure how to say that one exactly, um, but that's not a really bright Alpha star. I think it's like f- 3.5 magnitude or something. So mm-hmm. bright, but you know, good uh, five, four inch or larger telescope should be able to show you the comet. So that night, I'm definitely going to try to uh, get out and take a peek at it. Uh, and then we have 62P Sushan, and that's uh, a comet that was a little bit bright. I think it's dimming down a bit, but it just crosses over into 10th magnitude, sitting down there in uh, sort of south... Eastern-ish Leo. And I definitely need a chart to find that one. Really hasn't been moving that much. So twelve P is really trucking along because even night to night it moves like a few degrees, mm-hmm. two, maybe two degrees, something like that. Uh, but this sixty-two uh, P yeah. much much slower. It's been in Leo seems like forever now. Yeah,
1: and as as always, there's a, a little bit of the uh, you know fine print here. When it comes to predicting comet brightness, uh, you never really know, uh, how bright it will get despite forecasts, but, uh, 12 P Pons Brooks has a, I'm just, uh, looking, it looks, uh, the forecast is saying potentially magnitude four by April, which would make it a naked eye comet. Um, so this is one worth keeping an eye on and observing to see if it continues to brighten. Um, again, it's, it's hard to really say if it'll reach that. Um, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't.
0: Never know. Yep. But I think like eighth magnitude seems pretty reliable. I think I was fairly uh, conservative in that. So that's mm-hmm. getting up into a range where it should be able to be able to see it, even if it's not having one of these little opers.
1: Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: Cool. Um, that's, that's it for this month, but any observing plans, if we do get a, get a nice clear night here, Shane, during the uh, next new moon period, are, are there any targets, objects, or interesting items on your observing list coming up? Well,
1: um, not really, Chris, what I would like to do. Um, I recently acquired the, uh, the Borg 90 FL telescope and I've yet to really use it. Uh, Mm -hmm. I've, I've pointed it out the window at some stars just to see if I could. That's criminal. I know. Yeah. Uh, It was far too cold. Uh, That was during our our very cold stretch here. Yeah. And I was just doing that to make sure I could get my eyepieces to focus. Uh, You know, one of the positive things with the Borgs is they're adaptable and you can kind of configure them in multiple ways. But the worst thing about the Borgs is that they're adaptable and you can configure them in multiple ways. And you know, what I really mean is sometimes like you really do have to test your gear on them because sometimes you need a spacer or remove a spacer in order to reach focus, but Anyway, with all of that aside, I would really like to get that thing outdoors. In fact, yeah. I might do that tonight or tomorrow night yeah. for a, a preliminary run, but, um, you know, it's, uh, we're, we're pretty near full moon still, and I, I would like to try it under a dark
0: sky during yeah. new moon. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to take a peek through that one too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm, uh, hoping to, one thing that I I'm looking at, this is like, uh, part of my sketching plan once I get the observatory done is to start to get into some larger scale sketching. Oh. And so I was, I was in looking at, uh, sheets of paper in the art store that's across my office. So this is a terrible thing. There's actually an art store across the hall and down a set of stairs from my office. (laughs) This this is this incredibly tempting. So I go in and bug the guy there and he's very patient and kind. And uh, anyhow, so they've got this beautiful black paper. It's measures, I think it's 22 by 30 inches. And um, I've kind of had my eye on it. It's nine bucks a sheet, Mm -hmm. And uh, but see in the spring, they have like a sale. And I think I can get it like for a few bucks cheaper. And I've got a bit of an easel that that I can use that's about that size to, uh, to maybe try some large sketching. So I was sort of daydreaming about this this week, about maybe trying to get a sheet of it, even still, even before I kind of get everything done in my observatory and trying to do a sketch of like the, uh, the sword of Orion or something, but.
1: Mm, yeah, that'd be very neat.
0: Yeah. I was thinking, I was thinking this could be a, a cool thing for the, uh, for the new seven inch once I get it running. So mm-hmm. uh, just to, uh, get some very large sheets of, of this paper and then, uh yeah cuz it would be like sort of frameable size for the wall. i don't know if it'd be that good but i think it would be pretty cool to uh to do that and then buying some but i was thinking about buying a uh, like an ink well of white ink and uh and using that more in a uh i guess less of using a pen and maybe more of using a uh a brush to uh trying to make some dots and circles that look like stars and stuff. I don't know how that's all going to work. I'm experimenting around a little bit in my mind and, uh, yeah, probably this week or next, kind of get some more, uh, of these materials to, uh, maybe test out a few things at home before I start trying to sketch with this kind of stuff in the field again. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. But I'd like to get a good sketch of Orion down through, through my scopes. I think it'd be, you know, kind of fun. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be really neat. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, anything else, Shane, before we conclude? That is all, Chris. All right. Please subscribe, share the show with other stargazers you know, and send us your show ideas, observations, and questions to actualastronomy at gmail.com.
1: Thank you everyone for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.